Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into the Xander's Facts Podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander, and this is episode 62 of the podcast here on Wednesday, May 11th. Thank you all for listening, of course, as always, as you do every week, hopefully. But this week, you're definitely going to want to listen because we have got a big podcast with a big topic that you're going to want to hear about because you've been talking about it for the past week because it has been the hot topic everywhere you go. So we're going to talk about it. You know what I'm talking about in just a minute. We've also got an NBA playoffs update that I'm going to give to you at the end of the podcast. So stick around for that. But before we get to that, before we get to our main topic for the day, remember, if you like the Xander's Facts podcast, if this is your first time listening, first off, welcome to the podcast. But also, if you think you're going to like all the facts on this episode, remember to follow this podcast, download this episode, rate and review the podcast, go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Xander's Facts, that's Xander with a Z. And most importantly, tell all your friends, spread the facts, Xander's Facts Podcast. Remember to tell all your friends, and I mean all of them, every single one of them, about the Xander's Facts Podcast. So, if you didn't pick up on all my cues earlier, we are talking about abortion. Oh, Xander, I know. Get ready. It is a very controversial topic. You could talk about it anytime. It's a controversial topic. But right now, it is an extremely controversial topic. Because if you haven't heard, abortion has been the big thing in the news recently. It's actually something that I've wanted to talk about on this podcast for a while, ever since we kind of got the sense that something was going to happen back in December. I wanted to talk about it, but we are finally getting to it now, just like everyone else is, because everybody's talking about it. But the thing, the difference is, you're actually going to get some facts on this podcast, so you can be well informed about this topic, because Xander's got the facts, and he's going to share them with you. So let's get into it, because abortion has been a controversial topic for decades now, everybody knows that, probably even longer, but talk has kicked into high gear in the past week, and the news that has come out has probably made you feel... I am angry. Angry and upset and determined. Or feel... This is the best news of our lifetime a great victory for God. Those were, of course, clips of Elizabeth Warren and Marjorie Taylor Greene, and their reactions are due to the leak of a Supreme Court decision draft in the case of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. This case was heard before the Supreme Court late last year, and it includes Jackson Women's Health Organization suing the state of Mississippi and state health officer of the Mississippi Department of Health, Thomas Dobbs, after Mississippi passed a law that banned abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy with few exceptions. The Jackson Women's Health Organization is the only licensed abortion facility in the state of Mississippi. So last week on Monday night, Politico leaked a draft of a decision by the Supreme Court, which is a highly unprecedented moment for the court, by the way. There have been leaks out of the nation's highest court before, but never of this magnitude. And so the leak, what it states... And the ramifications this could all have have unleashed a total firestorm across the country. Abortion is at the forefront of everybody's minds once again. So, let's talk about it here on the Xander's Facts Podcast. Let's talk about everything you need to know about abortion on this episode of the podcast, what this draft opinion I'm talking about is, why it matters, and what the ramifications could be. We're also going to go into the history of abortion, and we're going to take on various arguments that people have been making about abortion. So let us get into it. Here we go! Let us start 
with the draft opinion, basically what this is, what I'm talking about. You probably know what it is, but just to clarify, this draft opinion is a document that basically reignited the debate around abortion. It was released last week by Politico, a draft of a Supreme Court opinion that was written by Justice Samuel Alito. Alito was one of the six conservative justices on the court. He wrote an opinion in the case of Dobbs v. Jackson. It was also reported that Justice Alito's opinion on the case was shared by four other conservative justices. Those justices, according to reporting from Politico, are Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. This opinion argues in favor of Dobbs and the state of Mississippi and would overturn prior Supreme Court decisions made in the cases of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Roe v. Wade, if you don't know, was decided in 1973. It legalized abortion nationwide, and Planned Parenthood v. Casey was decided in 1992, and that upheld the legalization of abortion nationwide, but it also allowed states to begin placing some restrictions on abortion. Good to know. So, in the 98-page opinion, a draft opinion, Alito asserts that, quote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start, its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division, unquote. He goes on to say, quote, We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives, unquote. Essentially, this decision from the Supreme Court would give states the power to adopt their own abortion policy. That would mean that the federal government would no longer require every state to allow abortion the way it does. It would be up to the individual states. So while the leak of the decision may have been surprising, this has been in the works for quite some time. But before we get into the why, the how, and what ramifications this decision could have, let's take a look at the history of abortion in this country, the history in the United States. Story time! So to look at the history of abortion in the United States, we have to go back centuries before the United States was an independent nation because it wasn't until the mid to late 19th century that abortion began to become illegal in the United States. Before this period, abortion was legal and it happened often. Abortion was legal before what is known as quickening, which is when a woman feels a fetus move, which usually occurs between the fourth and the sixth month of pregnancy. Prior to the Civil War, most aspects of women's reproductive health care have been taken care of by women and midwives. However, attacks on abortion were also common throughout this time. Most abortion services and pills were marketed using discreet names and terms. And in 1847, the American Medical Association was founded. You may know that name because the American Medical Association is still rolling on today. It was founded in 1847 by a group of white men who pushed to make abortion illegal. But this wasn't just done for the sake of saving fetuses or children as is a common anti-abortion argument today, which we're going to get to later. The founders of the AMA cited the decline in birth rates among white women in the U.S. at the time, which of course meant that they didn't want growing populations of minorities and immigrants. And this, of course, is at a time when momentum was building towards the Civil War in the U.S. because of race relations. Slavery, basically. Seriously? So between the Civil War and the year 1910, abortion became prohibited in every state. There was never, however, a nationwide ban 
on abortions. However, that does not mean that there were no abortions occurring in the states. In fact, it is estimated that in the late 1800s, there were upwards of 2 million abortions that took place each year. In 1930, it was found that one-fifth of the recorded maternal deaths in the U.S. came from back-alley abortions, which are not safe procedures. If you've ever seen the movie Dirty Dancing, you know what I'm talking about because an illegal abortion happens because that movie is set in the 1960s, even though the term abortion is never used in that movie, you know what's going on. So pro-abortion movements began to gain steam in the 1960s and the early 1970s when several states passed laws that legalized abortion access, including Hawaii, New York, Alaska, and Washington State in 1970. In 1967, the governor of California, who was at the time Ronald Reagan, signed one of the most liberal abortion bills in the country. If you say so. Then, of course, in 1973, the Supreme Court ruled in the Roe v. Wade case that the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment protects a woman's right to choose whether she can have an abortion when pregnant. The court decided that states cannot regulate abortions in the first trimester of pregnancy, but can somewhat in the second trimester and can ban them in the third trimester, except in cases where the life or health of the mother is at risk. The court ruled 7-2 to two in favor of allowing abortion nationwide in that case. And the only other high-profile abortion case that has come before the Supreme Court since 1973 was in 1992. That case was Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey. That was a lawsuit against then-Pennsylvania Governor Robert Casey. Four years earlier, Pennsylvania had instituted laws that required women who wanted an abortion to obtain informed consent, wait 24 hours, notify their husbands if they were married, and obtain parental consent if they were a minor. The court ruled in a 5-4 to four decision that while Roe was still the law of the land, most of the Pennsylvania restrictions were also upheld. And something I found interesting was that the only justice who was on the bench then that still is today is Clarence Thomas. And when that decision was made, Clarence Thomas was the most junior Supreme Court justice. He is now the most senior Supreme Court justice in terms of years on the bench. This is a fact. So that was in 1992. And then in recent years, more abortion restriction laws have popped up in several states, including Mississippi and Texas, notably, and that has led to the decision being made in the court right now. That is a quick look at the history of abortion in this country. Let's go back to today and the draft opinion. So the draft opinion looks like it's going to overturn Roe v. Wade. So is it? It sure sounds like it, but it's also not certain. This is a draft opinion that was circulated back in the court in February. That means that even if the same decision stands, even if the decision to overturn Roe stands, it is likely to be edited and reworded in parts. However, it is worth noting that the report states that the justices who voted with Alito, those would be Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett, while votes can still change, it's probably unlikely that any of them would change their vote even after this leak. Even though these justices did have some interesting things to say about abortion at their Senate confirmation hearings before they were voted into the court by the Senate. Here in 2006 is Samuel Alito. Roe versus Wade is a, an important precedent of the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has reaffirmed the decision, sometimes on the merits, sometimes in Casey, based on stare decisis. And I think that 
when a decision is challenged and it is reaffirmed, that strengthens its value. Then in 2017, the first of three Trump appointments to the court, Neil Gorsuch. It is a precedent of the United States Supreme Court. It was reaffirmed in Casey in 1992 and in several other cases. So a good judge will consider it as precedent of the United States Supreme Court worthy as treatment of precedent like any other. Then in 2018, Brett Kavanaugh. This is important precedent of the Supreme Court that's been reaffirmed many times, but then plan, and this is the point I want to make that I think is important, Planned Parenthood versus Casey reaffirmed Roe and did so by considering the stare decisis factors. So Casey now becomes a precedent on precedent. Then in 2020, Amy Coney Barrett. People use super precedent differently. Okay. The way that it's used in the scholarship and the way that I was using it in the article that you're reading from was to define cases that are so well settled that no political actors and no people seriously push for their overruling. And I'm answering a lot of questions about Roe, which I think indicates that Roe doesn't fall in that category. And scholars across the spectrum say that doesn't mean that Roe should be overruled. So... Those justices, appointees at the time, seem to, with their vague terms, mislead some of the senators. To the total surprise, might I tell you, of Republican Senators Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who both put out separate statements that were not in agreement with the decision. Really? So while Roe has not been overturned yet, many states have already enacted abortion restrictions and bans, and those look likely to remain in place. And the thing is, we don't really know how this leak came about. Was it a clerk from a conservative justice? Was it a clerk from a liberal justice? We don't know. We also didn't know if it was real or not until officially on Tuesday morning last week when Chief Justice John Roberts basically came out and said it is real and they're doing an investigation and all that stuff. But the motive of the leak is not clear. Was it to ensure that the justices would not move their positions so that the decision can stay in place? Or was it so that the justices would be pressured to move off their decisions? We don't know, and we'll probably never know. But if this decision holds up and Roe is overturned, what would happen? That's a big question. Well, the truth is, it depends on where you live in the United States. Because in Alito's draft opinion, he states, quote, It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives, unquote. That would mean that it is now up to the states to decide abortion policy. So if you live in a red state that typically votes Republican, it's more likely that restrictions or a total ban are going to be put in place. If you live in a blue state where Democrats are typically elected, it's more likely that there will be little to no restrictions. However, it gets incredibly complicated in some states. Let's go through a little bit of a list here. Listen up! In six states, there are laws from before 1973 that would ban abortion, and these states are Alabama, Arizona, Michigan, North Carolina, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. So while all of these states are looking like they're going to allow exceptions if the life or the health of the mother is in danger. There are several that will not have exceptions in the case of rape or incest. Now, with a couple of those states, it's very complicated because it would appear that for these laws to take effect, there's going to have to be some action by either the state attorney general or the state legislature that would have to be take effect. And it's important to note that in Michigan and Wisconsin, states that have Democratic governors... These bans are getting attacked 
by those governors and by higher-up elected officials. Wisconsin is seeking a lawsuit against the ban. Michigan has already filed a lawsuit to see if they don't have to enforce the ban, and the Attorney General of Michigan already said that she is not going to be enforcing the ban. And North Carolina's law is also complicated, and it's not clear whether that would be enacted or enforced. And North Carolina also has a Democratic governor. Now, there are 13 states that have trigger laws from decades ago. A trigger law would basically immediately ban abortion if Roe is overturned. Those states are Arkansas, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, and Wyoming. So while all of those states hopefully are going to allow exceptions if the life or health of the women is in danger, there are several that will not allow exceptions in the case of rape or incest. There are 15 states that have restriction laws that could take effect if Roe is overturned. Some of these states overlap. These states include Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Utah. Florida has a law that has yet to take effect. Additionally, Indiana, Montana, and Nebraska are looking poised to institute either restrictions or bans in the near future. Now, there are also 16 states and the District of Columbia that have laws that protect abortion rights. Those states are California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington. Abortion is on the ballot this year in Kansas, Kentucky, Montana, and Vermont. And there are other states that could also put referendums on the ballot in November. That's being talked about in Michigan, so we'll see. Too many facts. Now, there are six states that I did not mention. Those states are Alaska, Minnesota, New Hampshire, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Those states don't have any restriction or protection laws. So basically, what would happen in those states is they would continue to allow abortions. Nothing would change, basically, in those states. Even though, and don't let me get on this tangent, Virginia, the governor, basically, Glenjamin, you know him, he was very careful to play down his abortion stance during the election. He kept it quiet. But now, he's like, oh, well, maybe we should have some more restrictions. Even though that probably is not going to happen right now, the House in Virginia is controlled by Republicans. The Senate is not. So, also, polls in Virginia show that voters, majority of voters, want abortion to stay legal. So, you know, there you go. I don't know why I went on that tangent. But, those are all the states, and what would happen in those states if Roe is overturned, which is looking likely. However, something else now. Republicans, including the minority leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, are now floating nationwide bans on abortion. Now, of course, Republicans would need majorities in Congress and a Republican president to do that, so that would not happen until 2025 at the earliest. They would also need 60 votes in the Senate if the filibuster remains in place, and it's worth noting that under this current makeup of the court, it's likely that a nationwide ban would remain. So now you know why elections have consequences. They've always had consequences. But people are starting to realize that now. They should have realized it a long time ago. But in any case, that is how things would unfold if the court goes ahead and overturns Roe. The final decision, as I said, is not expected until June. 
which is when we thought we would actually hear what was going to happen. But apparently we already know, which is good because it gives Xander time to prepare his facts. So with all that out of the way, let's take a look at the arguments on both sides of the abortion debate. This is where it's going to get dicey. This is where you're going to start yelling at me. And I'm going to be like, chill out. I'm just stating facts. Calm down, bruh. So here we go. Let's start with some of the arguments that Justice Alito made in his draft opinion. These are quotes. In regards to the constitutionality of abortion, Alito notes that, quote, the Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, unquote. Well, the part that he said it's not mentioned in the Constitution is true. There's no mention of abortion in the Constitution. The Roe decision in 1973 by the court was rooted in the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause. That is located in Section 1 of the 14th Amendment. The full text of Section 1 of the 14th Amendment is, quote, All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws, unquote. So in 1973, the court said that the right to privacy given by the 14th Amendment protects abortion. Now, as I just read to you, there are no words that say right to privacy. However, the due process clause, which is in there, it's the part that nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of the law. The court interpreted that as a right to privacy. Basically, the due process clause protects against state action the right to privacy. They also argued that a woman's right to choose to have an abortion falls within that right to privacy. In fact, Alito basically dismisses that clause in his opinion, or I should say the Equal Protection Clause, which is basically all of Section 1, which I just read. He basically skipped over that. He barely mentioned it. And the fact is, in the Planned Parenthood v. Casey case, they ruled in the majority opinion that women cannot participate as equals in the U.S. without the right to control their reproduction. Another interesting fact that this decision is basically undoing 50 years of precedence, which the Supreme Court has done before, but not very often. Nice try, buddy. Another argument Alito presented in the draft opinion was, quote, the inescapable conclusion is that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. On the contrary, an unbroken tradition of prohibiting abortion on pain of criminal punishment persisted from the earliest days of the common law until 1973, unquote. Now, as I laid out earlier, in the history of abortion, that may have happened, but it was legal for abortion to take place for much of the time, up until the Civil War in 1910, when most states began to ban abortions. Abortions, of course, still happened after that. And as I said before, there has never, in this country, been a ban on abortions nationwide by the federal government. So that kind of just doesn't make sense. Alito also noted at one point that, quote, women are not without electoral or political power, unquote. That also caught people's eye because 
In the decision to let state legislatures decide abortion policy, it's not noted in the opinion that women only make up a majority of state legislature offices in one state. That state is Nevada. Nationwide, just over 30% of state legislature seats are occupied by women, which is growing, but still, women do not make up 30% of the people in this country. That's a much larger number in actuality. And seven states, West Virginia, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, Wyoming, and Louisiana, have less than 20% of their state legislature seats held by women. And just if you don't remember, all of those states are going to enact either restrictions or ban abortions if Roe is overturned. Alito's opinion also indirectly brings up the principle of separation between church and state. Indirectly. Alito writes, quote, There is ample evidence that the passage of these laws was instead spurred by a sincere belief that abortion kills a human being. One may disagree with this belief, but even Roe and Casey did not question the good faith of abortion opponents, unquote. First off, what? Now, the opinion may not mention this, but the belief that abortion kills a human being is a religious one, because it would be safe to say, and polling backs my theory up, that the vast majority of anti-abortion activists and those who do not support abortion identify as Christians in this country. And Christians who follow the Bible will tell you that abortion is murder, and that an unborn child has a God-given right to life, and that life is a gift from God. Now, the Bible does not explicitly mention the term abortion. However, there are several Bible quotes that can be brought up in the debate. This includes Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25, which states, quote, If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the husband's demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Unquote. Now, first off, what I just read is a perfect example of why you should not take the Bible word for word. Because apparently, we're going to fight to the death. Cold But it would also seem to assume that financial compensation that is owed due to an abortion would seem to mean that the fetus was property and not a person. But, of course, it's all up to your interpretation, because that's the point. It's absolutely up to how you interpret the Bible, because I just interpret it as we're killing each other because of abortions. But you may not interpret it that way, which is why we should not be enacting laws based on what the Bible says. Like, that's just how I'm saying. However, there is a fundamental value in Christianity which Christians say they follow, which is being kind to your neighbor, which, you know, and assisting the sick, poor, and needy. That's fundamental Christian values. Talks about that in the Bible explicitly, and that's what Christians strive to follow. Well, if abortion is outlawed, that is disproportionately going to affect lower-income women, namely black women, because wealthy women are still going to be able to get abortions, because they are going to have the access, the resources, to obtain services that will be illegal, or they'll be able to travel to locations, other states or countries, to get 
an abortion, and those with little financial resources will not be able to, and that will increase the amount of unsafe abortions that could have fatal consequences for the mother. And how do we know this? Because this is the exact thing that was going on before 1973. Like, you may not know this, but there were abortions going on before 1973. I know I mentioned it on this podcast, and you may just be learning about this now, but it's a fact. Fact! A lot of them were happening, too. Just, they were illegal in a lot of cases. And in a lot of cases, they were unsafe. What Roe did was allow abortion to be safe. Because it was legal, you didn't have to hide. And that's basically to say that there are those who don't think this is a big deal, because you'll still be able to get an abortion in some states. But in some states, you won't. And back alley abortions are going to become commonplace again, like they were a hundred years ago. Why are we moving back a hundred years? Like, it literally makes no sense. There's also Republican states that are trying to punish, make it illegal for citizens of their states to go to another state or another country and get an abortion. Like, first off, they can't do that. But the fact that they are talking about it and trying to implement that, that's like, that's not democracy right there. Let me just tell you something. I'd also like to mention that not everyone in this country is a Christian. It may seem like it depending on your bubble, your circle, while it is still the case that over 70% of Americans identify as Christian, those numbers have been declining overall in recent decades. A 2021 Gallup poll found that only 47% of Americans say they belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque, which is the first time in the 80 years that Gallup has been asking that question that the number was below 50%. It's the truth. As Pew Research finds... 70.6% of Americans are Christian, but 5.9% belong to other religions, whether that's Judaism, Muslim, Buddhism, Hinduism, others. Additionally, there are 22.8% of Americans who are unaffiliated with religion, whether that's they're an atheist or they're just not affiliated with anything. And that's still almost 30% of the country, and that number is rising. So even with that, it's a large minority. But also, if we have the principle from the Establishment Clause in the First Amendment that while it does not directly mention the separation of church and state, it has been interpreted since 1791, the Founding Fathers, when they were alive, as indicating the separation of church and state. So, why are we making laws over religious views? If we wanted to do that, we could. We just couldn't call ourselves a democracy anymore because the country would be a theocracy. That's what countries that are governed by religious beliefs are. Like, Iran is a theocracy. You could have made the argument that England, Great Britain, was... That's kind of a loose argument, but the fact is, you can have your own religious views. That's fine. No one's telling you you can't have that religious view, and if you are, that's not being kind to your neighbor... But to impose them on others using the government is definitely not American and could actually be deemed unconstitutional. And by the way, the government in any capacity has never forced anyone into getting an abortion. And that is definitely not the position of the so-called radical left. You've heard about it. Oh, yay. Now, that radical left will tend to argue in favor of abortions because of what the Supreme Court said and their opinions in Roe and Casey, that the 14th Amendment gives women the right to privacy, which includes an abortion. Now, I will say, 
that pro-abortion activists have much better moral arguments than that one from the Constitution. These include the fact that overturning Roe would take away basically a women's right to choose what they can do with their body. There are several reasons why an abortion will occur. These can be in the cases of rape and incest, which some states apparently are not going to allow an exception for you. So if you're raped and then are forced to carry that baby for nine months, that's probably going to be traumatizing. And forcing someone to do that doesn't seem morally right. You know, I would say because it's the morals that say you cannot kill these babies because that's murder. The morals go the other way, too, in these situations. That's the thing. The fetus is not the only individual we have to think of in these situations. It is the woman who we know for sure is a living, breathing human being in our society. There's also health complications to consider with the fetus or the mother. There's also the fact that the woman knows she can't financially support a child. There are many reasons. And you know what? The reasons probably shouldn't matter. Because why are we, the government, and mostly males, telling women what they can and can't do with their own bodies. We don't do this with men. Like, name something we restrict men can do with their bodies that doesn't affect anyone else. Like, I can't name anything. And also, those men who can willingly up and leave a pregnant woman who they impregnated and sometimes face no repercussions in this country. So, for those who keep shouting, you know, freedom, 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 when talking about why America is so great, which, you know, freedom is why America is great. This definitely isn't freedom. This is imposing restrictions on someone's body. Majority males imposing these restrictions on females, I might add, which probably is not the greatest look in a country where women have been oppressed and seen as minorities and inferior at past points, but probably at some points in modern society. Speaking of minorities, as I mentioned earlier, outlawing abortion will not stop abortions, as I might have said. PBS NewsHour notes that, quote, abortions occur at the same rate in countries where it is broadly legal and where it is prohibited, at an average of about 40 abortions per 1,000 women, unquote. Gash facts. So, we saw, when abortion was illegal for the time it was in the United States, that abortions continued to happen. There are countries around the world that allow abortions. There are countries around the world that do not allow abortions. And apparently, there is little difference in the abortion rates in those countries. So outlawing abortions is only going to make safe abortions available to the well-off, and it's potentially going to harm those who are not well-off. And the term pro-life doesn't accurately describe the positions of individuals who do not support abortions because there are situations when it is mother or child. You're also not very pro-life if you support the death penalty, which we for sure know has actually killed innocent people. I can get into the death penalty, but I'm not going to. Or if you don't support gun control, which has allowed guns to kill many innocent people, which we hear about all the time, which by the way, Republicans are actually considering the death penalty as a punishment for getting an abortion. What do you say? So, like, can the hypocrisy get any worse? Because seriously, we're pro-life. We don't like abortions. But we're going to kill you if you get an abortion. That 
is what they're talking about in Texas and probably other states right now, by the way. So outlawing abortion is only going to endanger more lives. And that's backed up by facts and data and numbers. That is certainly not what I would consider pro-life. Stinger. Also, there is the argument that I have seen that the fetus you abort could be adopted into a loving home. Well, if that's the case, then why is the foster care system in this country overflowing with children? If you are actually arguing that you would adopt a child in order to stop abortions, then do it, because there are a ton of children you could adopt right now if you actually tried in this country, because the only thing that's stopping you is if the foster care system doesn't think you would be an adequate parent. The process of adoption is pretty complicated. Also, for the mother giving away the child that they birthed and they held for nine months. The argument of we don't need abortion because we have adoption is also something that prominent conservatives have argued, including one of the Supreme Court justices, the newest one, Amy Coney Barrett, who basically said just that when this case was being heard before the court in December. And I'll argue we know that because we only just recently in the last few years got access to audio recordings, live audio recordings of the cases in the Supreme Court. It's basically just a lazy excuse to use because the people arguing this would probably never jump through the hurdles to adopt a child in the first place because if you would, you already would have because you can because no one's stopping you unless you're not a good person. Maybe because they wouldn't want to go through the process of adoption, but would like to force the process of a nine-month pregnancy on women. So if you're using that argument, please just stop. Unless you've actually adopted children, in which you, maybe you could make that argument. But like seriously, a bunch of the people who make this argument, they have never adopted a child, and they have no plans to. So like, come on, stop it. Quit your whining. And then, just on Tuesday... Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that overturning Roe would have damaging effects on the U.S. economy. Well, what is she talking about? In a Senate hearing on Tuesday, Yellen said that access to reproductive health care led to an increase in labor force production and allowed many women to finish school and increase their earning potential. So she's not talking about, like, the stock market would immediately crash if Roe was overturned, which, I mean, could happen. But she's talking about more long-term effects because what we see, there's numbers to back this up. It was found by the New York Times that the labor force participation rate for women 16 and older in 1970 was 43%. In 2019, it was 57.4%. That's an increase of 14% if you didn't know. Of course, you know, abortions and allowing abortions is not the only factor in that, but you've got to think that it probably played a part in a jump that large. And you know that the economy is going to be a major issue in the midterms, or at least it's looking like that so far. And it's coming out that Republican politicians haven't exactly been jumping from the rooftops from this news of this leak. A lot of them have mainly been focusing on the leak itself, saying the leak is terrible, this is terrible. Well, actually, all right, I'm just going to go on a tangent here. Why is the leak terrible? Why don't we know more about what's going on in the Supreme Court? The Supreme Court is the government, the federal government. They're supposed to be working for us. We elect senators 
and a president who then nominates Supreme Court justices who decide the laws of the land. Why don't we know more about that? Like, that's probably not a good thing that they're so secretive. We should probably know a lot more about how the Supreme Court works and what they're doing on a daily basis. We see what Congress is doing. We see what the president's doing. Why don't we see what the Supreme Court is doing? I don't, that's my little tangent. Stay on track. But a lot of Republicans have not exactly been jumping from the rooftops because there's worry among them and hope among Democrats that this will become a major issue in the midterms. It's definitely too early to tell right now, especially since the final decision hasn't even been handed down yet, and we'll see what happens. But if it does become a significant issue, that is not going to be good for Republicans who are looking to win big in the midterms this year. Polling has overwhelmingly shown that the majority of Americans support Roe and abortion. A Pew Research Center survey from March, this is like the best data you can get, found that 61% of U.S. adults say abortion should be legal, while only 37% say it should be illegal. More specifically, 36% say it should be legal in most cases, 19% say it should be legal in all cases, and 6% believe it should be legal with some exceptions. 27% believe it should be illegal in most cases, 8% say it should be illegal in all cases, and 2% say it should be illegal with some exceptions. Now, they also had a timeline of that data, and that data has remained consistent. Out of the Pew Research surveys that they've done on this topic, keeping abortion legal has always had an over 50% supporting rate. And the percentage of individuals in this country who actually supported abortion kind of took a dip through the Bush and the Obama years. But in the Trump years and up to now, the support for abortions in the United States is at an at least 20-year high. It's all true! So that would probably give Republicans worry. But the New York Times also found that it does depend on the state, with the blue and the red divide showing itself. You've got states that typically vote blue, showing overwhelming support for abortion. You've got states that usually vote red, showing overwhelming support for making abortion illegal. But there are states, Montana, Ohio, Iowa, Missouri, Kansas among them, that consistently vote red, but actually have a favorable view on abortion. So abortion views seem to trend to the left of the country as a whole, meaning there is a clear majority in this case, and that is that abortion should remain legal. Safe to say this is not a winning issue nationwide for Republicans, but for Republicans imposing restrictions and bans on abortion in the states they control, this is not where this stops. Because just remember that ever since the Roe v. Wade decision was handed down in 1973. Anti-abortion activists and religious groups have been fighting to get this decision overturned for 50 years. But now that it's happening, they are not planning on stopping there. And prominent Republicans and conservatives know this because Alito put in his draft opinion, or at least he tried to, assure that the abortion right is different from other rights because it involves a, quote, potential life, unquote. But many legal experts have said that many rights that we thought were set in stone in this country may not be. They could easily be overturned. These include access to 
contraceptives, which actually prevent a pregnancy and therefore an abortion from ever happening. Republicans are actually trying to ban birth control, if you didn't know. As Mississippi's governor went on TV on Sunday and did not rule out a possible ban. So basically, no one can take birth control anymore. I mean, that's insane. That's authoritarian. And you want to talk about radical left. That is definitely radical because a 2018 poll found that 78% of U.S. adults believe that birth control was a basic part of women's health care. A 2019 Gallup poll found that 92% of respondents said that birth control was morally acceptable. Guaranteed! Other issues that have been brought up include same-sex marriage and even interracial marriage. So, you know, like, what in the world? You know... Outlawing these things would not only be draconian, it would not only set our country back 50 or more years, and it would not only prove that white supremacy and racism is still alive and well, it would also significantly diminish morale around the country, I would think. Because they're going to say, oh, you can't be married to that person anymore, sorry. That's authoritarian. If you thought the suicide rate and mental health issues in this country were bad now, just watch... If this ever happened, like another thing I would not consider pro-life. And probably a lot of you who are listening to this podcast and do not support abortion are like, what in the world are you talking about? I know you're probably like, I'm not that crazy. But that's actually what's being brought up. I'm just telling you what's being brought up or trying to be brought up into the mainstream. Because, you know, we got the crazy people and the QAnons and all that junk. Like, it's crazy. But before we wrap up the podcast, I also wanted to quickly take a look at abortion laws in other countries because in the draft opinion, Alito notes that, quote, at the time of enactment, this is for the Mississippi law that just was enacted in 2018, only six countries besides the United States permitted non-therapeutic or elective abortion on demand after the 20th week of gestation, unquote. However, that number is... Absolutely skewed and not entirely accurate. Alita notes that the six other countries are Canada, China, the Netherlands, North Korea, Singapore, and Vietnam. And later on in the draft notes that Iceland and Guinea are included as well. However, Alito failed to include several other major developed countries that allow for broad exceptions after the 20th week of pregnancy for a wide variety of reasons. These include... Argentina, Australia, Austria, Belgium, Colombia, Denmark, France, Italy, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, Puerto Rico, South Korea, South Africa, Spain, Sweden, Turkey, and Ukraine, among many others. Nice fact! That list includes a total of 76 countries. Now, there are also 24 countries that have total abortion bans. These countries are Andorra, Aruba, Congo, Curaçao, Dominican Republic, Egypt, El Salvador, Haiti, Honduras, Iraq, Jamaica, Laos, Madagascar, Malta, Mauritania, Nicaragua, Palo, the Philippines, San Marino, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Suriname, Tonga, and the West Bank and Gaza Strip. None of those countries are considered developed countries. All those countries are considered developing. The World Health Organization also found that worldwide... Six out of ten all unintended pregnancies end in an uninduced abortion. Three out of ten pregnancies in total end in an uninduced abortion. And that around 45% of all abortions in the world are unsafe. 
out of those, 97% occur in developing countries. Many of those that have banned abortions. So if abortion was banned in parts of the U.S., and even if it was banned nationwide, which they're talking about, those states and the country would be on par with not the developed countries, not who we see as our developed equals in Europe, in Asia. No, we would be on par with developing countries. That would seem like a major step backward to me. And it basically reinforces the notion that you can try all you want to stop abortions. But I just got to tell you, you're going to fail. It is a losing effort. Because even if abortion is outlawed, even if it is banned entirely in this country, no exceptions, it is still going to happen. Because we see in other countries where it is banned that it is still happening. We saw in this country when it was illegal that abortions were still occurring, even at a rate that is not that rare compared to modern standards. Even though the abortion rate has actually been going down recently in this country. So, to part you all on this podcast, I know we got the NBA playoffs, but I just want to part with this. I will just say that this seems like religion, and particularly the Christian right, that is trying to impose their will on everyone. You can think that abortion is bad, but if you want to do that, if you want to make that a law... Go make your own country, because this country literally declared independence from a religious monarchy to create a democracy. It just seems that this is the latest trend in conservatism, which is trying to send the country backwards. Basically, all the other things that I just told you on this podcast a few minutes ago. Abortion bans would literally align the United States with third world countries that individuals who want these bans in this country would consider backwards countries. The simple fact is that you cannot support abortion and think it isn't cool. And that's okay. I'm not trying to tell you or trying to make you think differently in that sense. However, what I will tell you is that what I cannot stand is that forcing people and telling people they cannot have an abortion. That should not be okay. Women should be allowed to make their own choices with their bodies. And you might not think that's the best decision for them, and you might ridicule them, even though you probably shouldn't ridicule them because that's not loving thy neighbor, but it's their decision. It does not affect you. So stop trying to act like it is. People can make their own decisions. Why are we, as a country, saying, no, you cannot make your own decision? Because no one is forcing you to have an abortion. And as long as we live in a democracy in the United States of America, the government is never going to tell you or anyone that they have to have an abortion. That has never happened. And it never will. As long as we maintain a democracy, which to be honest, who knows how long that's going to be. Like, you don't have to have one. No one is forcing you to have an abortion even if it's legal, no one has forced you to have an abortion for 50 years. The government certainly hasn't. But you should not be taking that freedom away from someone else who wants to make that choice. It 
does not directly affect you if someone has an abortion. Now, it may if they're a family member, but you're involved in that decision most likely. And if you're not, that's okay, because it's not your body. I'll just end with this. While this may be a win for the religious right, it is definitely a loss for women and those who believe that a woman should have the right to choose regarding decisions about her own body. In the United States of America, long known as a beacon for freedom worldwide. That is what I will leave you with. I just spent 50 minutes talking about abortion, and you hopefully learned something, hopefully learned some facts, and you may not agree with me. And that's okay, because this is a place, this is a country, where you can disagree with each other. But hopefully you can disagree in a nice manner. Like, I didn't threaten anybody. Let's just make that clear. Man, that was rough. That's what I've got for you on abortion. Main topic for this podcast, but we're not done, because I have got for you an update on the NBA playoffs, because those are going on right now as well. Let's wrap up the podcast with that. We're in the conference semifinals right now. There are eight teams playing four series. Two of those series had their game fives on Tuesday, and actually before Tuesday night's games, before they tipped off, three of the four series were actually tied at two games apiece, and the other series is the Grizzlies and the Warriors, That's a 3-1 series, which has had a ton of drama and storylines and all that stuff. These have been really good series, and the ratings have been way up for the playoffs, and for good reason, because this has been pretty good basketball to watch. But Tuesday night's games, we had the 76ers and the Heat. They were tied at two games apiece, but Miami dominated at home. They took care of Philly, and now they lead the series three games to two. They are one win away from the Eastern Conference Finals. They will play again on Tuesday in Philadelphia for Game 6. That game is 7 o'clock on ESPN. And then also on Tuesday night, we had the Suns and the Mavericks. And that series was tied at two games apiece too. Just like the Miami-Philly series, the home team has won all four games so far. Well, actually, all five now because the Suns took a 3-2 series lead. They beat the Mavericks on Tuesday night. So the Suns now lead the series three games to two. And Game 6 of that series is Thursday at 9.30 on ESPN. And the Suns can win that series if they win Game 6. Wednesday, we've got two other series. Monday night, these four teams played. First, we had the Bucks and the Celtics, which, in my opinion, is probably the most entertaining series right now. Like, they have been going at each other hard. Giannis is clearly the best player on the floor, but Boston might have the better team, but you've still got Giannis on the Bucks. That series is tied at two games apiece. Boston is where game five will be played Wednesday tonight at seven o'clock on TNT. You're going to want to watch that because that's probably going to be another entertaining game. And then 9.30, the series I was talking about, the Warriors and the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies will be at home for Wednesday night's game, game five, but Golden State leads the series three games to one. Grizzlies are the only team in the conference semifinals that have not won at least two games in their series, and that might be due to the Warriors being really good, but also John Morant was injured in Game 3. He was out for Game 4. He is now doubtful for the rest of the playoffs. So 
that's kind of a blow to the Grizzlies, but the Grizzlies actually had a better winning percentage without him this season. So we'll see. The Grizzlies are at home 930 on TNT tonight. That should be another entertaining game. These playoffs have been really good. Big game alert! And I'm going to keep giving you updates each week. And also, on Xander's Weekend Facts, we've been giving updates. You need to check that out. Xander's Weekend Facts. Subscribe. Get in your inbox every Sunday morning. Do that. But we are going to go in-depth on the NBA in a couple weeks, right before the NBA Finals begin. Our NBA analyst, Hillbilly, is going to come back on the podcast. You are not going to want to miss that for all of the NBA stuff. And then, of course, you got my Capitals in the NHL hockey, you know, tied 2-2 right now with the Panthers. Panthers are, of course, the top team in the Eastern Conference because you all knew that. Capitals are the lowest-seeded team in the Eastern Conference playoffs. They've been playing really well. Are we done yet? But we'll see. So that's all I've got for you on the podcast this week. Pretty long podcast. But hopefully you got all the facts you need. There were a ton of facts on this podcast. And now you know the ins and outs of the abortion discussion in the United States of America. So there you go. Thank you all for listening to the podcast. And remember, if you liked all the facts on this podcast, click the follow button on this podcast. Download this episode, episode 62 a podcast about abortion. Rate the podcast, review the podcast, go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Xander's Facts is there and posting. Subscribe on YouTube. Xander's Facts episodes are releasing on YouTube. You can listen with a nice background. It's pretty cool. Do that. Subscribe. Check out Xander's Weekend Facts from Substack, dropping every Sunday morning our weekly newsletter containing a bunch of the facts from the week that you will want to know about because there's some pretty good facts on there. Click the link in this episode's description. You can sign up to get it in your email inbox. It is totally free. I would not scam you all, my loyal Xander's Facts listeners. And you're pretty loyal if you're 57 minutes into this episode. So you deserve some nice treats. And I got some nice treats known as facts in Xander's Weekend Facts. Sign up for that and then click on the link tree. The link tree has got every single Xander's Facts link that you need. Social media, YouTube, Xander's Weekend Facts, where you can find the podcast on basically any podcast platform. Check out the Xander's Facts link tree that is linked in this episode's description below. Check that out. And of course, just a friendly reminder to tell all your friends about the Xander's Facts podcast, especially this week, because there's some important facts that you need to know. And now you got them. Share them with your friends. That's what I've got for episode 62, but because you've waited so long... I will let you know what's going on episode 63 next week. We are going into public schools. I am a public school boy, just to let you know. But there's a crisis going on in public schools in America. We're going to look into it next week on episode 63 of the podcast. You're not going to want to miss it. Set your reminders, notifications, whatever for episode 63. But that is it. That is all I've got. That is a wrap on episode 62 of the Zaner's Facts podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 63 next week. Damn, bruh.